0: Welcome to Biomitilingual today. My name is Elizabeth Aitai and I'm your host. My guest today is an associate professor at Emily Carr University of Art and Design in Vancouver. She is artist in residence at Triumph Canada's Particle Accelerator Center. She co-organizes processes of collaboration
1: between artists and physicists. My name is Ingrid Koenig, and I was born in Canada, and I live in Vancouver, BC.
0: Uh, how many languages do you speak, or what languages do you speak, What's your native language?
1: My first language is German, and secondly, English, so I have both, and then I speak French uh, badly, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, at what age did you learn
1: German? That was, well... I learned German as growing up, so I don't know what age that is, but as soon as you start forming words when you're a baby, that would have been the German language. My mother did not speak any English. They were new immigrants to Canada. My father spoke English, but my mother did not. So all of the language I got from her was German.
0: Mm -hmm. And how did your mother and your father communicate?
1: In German. So they came from Germany. And so that was their main communication at home. Mm-hmm. And it was only outside of the home that my father would have spoken English. So I didn't learn uh, English until I started to play with neighborhood kids. And at first, I'm told that I spoke German to them and they didn't know what I was saying either. And so uh, I didn't actually learn. I didn't go to kindergarten. My mother kept me at home. And I didn't learn English early until I went to school in grade one. And I remember, uh, the first day of school, the teacher drawing on the chalkboard images of the things that I needed to bring, like running shoes. And I still have that image so clearly in my head, the, you know, the visual language that she was using to communicate to me. I don't remember learning English though. So at that point I was learning English, but I have no memory really of picking it up.
0: So it came naturally.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So German is your native language. Right? Yeah. Um, now, where you're at now, which language do you feel most comfortable with?
1: English. I think in English. So I remember uh, at a certain point in sometime when I was little, I remember doing a transition where I stopped thinking in German and I thought in English. And I remember thinking, ah, that's f- strange. And I remember in relation to that, I lived in Paris for two years and I remember that same transition happening where I was able to start thinking in French. And, you know, it's like this, this kind of switch over. Like you feel like your, your brain is somehow, the, the klappe is, is umgedreht Mm -hmm. or something happens. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is.
0: The switch flips.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So English is really the, the first and, Coming with that, I think, is also a sense of the culture of growing up in Canada. So I feel like when I'm in Germany and I'm there a fair bit because of my work and travels, I feel like I bring a Canadian sensibility to how I speak mm-hmm. and all that that entails uh, from the kind of easygoing kind of Canadian culture, the history of, of music, of literature, those, those elements, they come with me. So if I'm, if I'm moving through like Germany as in terms of a, a language I speak, I still ha- have a feeling, even when I'm speaking German, that somehow there's a, an English cultural or not English Canadian kind of cultural sensibility in how I phrase things. And how I speak to German people.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. So you bring the, you bring your, you don't feel immersed in the German culture, you rather bring your, uh, you come with your Canadian culture. Yes. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Probably it might be redundant or, you know, easy for you to Mm -hmm. respond to this one. But um, which language do you use when you're communicating emotional states?
1: Uh, Definitely English. Mm -hmm. Um, However, my, uh, my mother is still living, and so with her, then it switches over to German.
0: Do you feel any frustrations uh, or obstacles with the German language?
1: I can't say I feel there are any obstacles. I mean, there are obstacles in terms of academics. So since I didn't grow up learning, you know, reading and uh, writing, and that was something that I just picked up in German. So my reading and writing was in English. So the German part, that's where there is the, the weakness on my part. So when I'm writing professional letters and I'm always, you know, checking it with a German speaker or using Google Translate or something mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure I'm spelling things correctly. I think also syntax can be odd where I might translate something like in English where we say, uh, when we invite someone to dinner, for example, we say, "I invite you out for dinner," and um, in German, I would say, "Ich nehm dich aus," which in German means, "I'm going to exploit you." <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, <laughs> when when I first said that to my friends in Berlin, they looked at me, "What? You're going?" <laughs> so, so there are those kinds of awkward uh, shifts and phrases. Well. But also
0: humorous. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, um, speaking of humor, some of my English friends who are also get together with my German collaborators, they say when we are together, my humor switches over to a German kind of humor, which is um, we do a lot of play with words. And um, I think there is a kind of a sing-song enjoyment of German language with humor that I don't have with English. There's something like even when you and I speak in German, I think we have a kind of a banter that mm-hmm. that, that a playfulness mm-hmm. that um, is not so much in the English. You mm-hmm.
0: know, it's not my, English is not my native language. That's my my weakness. Mm-hmm. That I don't know the language to adopt, mm-hmm. that depth. You know, see. Oh, true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Do you fear any change in your physicality? Do you feel the rhythm of both languages affecting yourself on an emotional, mental, or physical level?
1: I have a feeling that when I mentioned about carrying a Canadian cultural sensibility to German, that I carry a syntax and a rhythm that is Canadian as well. I know I have a, like an English accent when I'm speaking German. So people you know, tell me that. So I don't have a Hard guttural kind of sound when I'm speaking German. Mm-hmm. So it's a softer kind of sound and I cannot roll my R's. So there's a certain kind of, um, flow that I think, uh, comes through from a Canadian way of speaking into the German rhythm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah.
0: Um, yeah, it does make sense because English is your first language. meanwhile, mean, where, or would you consider?
1: Now it, it feels like it. Right, yes. Yes. Right. So yeah. yeah. Although I remember at times in um, grade school where a teacher would be explaining something, you know, some in social studies kind of a class, and I would hear it. I wouldn't understand exactly what she meant. And she'd say, are any questions? And I'd have to put up my hand and say, yes, I'm not quite sure what you're saying. And then she would say, about what? And I'd say, I don't know. (laughs) And it was very awkward. So there were those kinds of awkward moments. And I think that had to do somehow with some kind of syntactical, how one word uh, followed another. But all that worked its way out eventually. I think sometimes uh, when I'm searching for words, when we're speaking... You know, and then sometimes a German word will pop in instead and I think, Oh, I, I wish I could use that word, you know, and I think it's probably that pool of vocabulary that we have in our heads. And sometimes there's a word in German that just seems way more appropriate than an English word. There's that richness to be able to pull from.
0: Are there situations where you're like, oh, I I want to speak German now or whether you, where you would pick one language versus the, versus the other, where you would favor one language versus the other?
1: I think in terms of traveling, sometimes one language um, allows you to move through a place more easily. So, for example, I was a student in Greece for a time and Uh, during that time there were more german tourists now it's different now there's more english-speaking tourists but at the time german tourists were there were a lot and so i could actually i didn't speak greek at the time and so i was using my german to get through and that helped me and i was able to bring my friends through with the german you know that was a a handy thing Mm -hmm. and then sometimes if i was being uh, sexually harassed on the street somewhere in europe and they're always, you know, guessing, oh, are you English or Scottish or something that often came up. I would just answer in, you know, the other language. that I, I didn't think they'd know German if they were speaking to me in English sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I could kind of use it as a way out to, you know, uh, I don't understand sort of thing. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a useful way to see an idea from a different perspective. So again, for example, with my collaborators, um they have certain idioms coming from german that i didn't know about and so in the project that i'm working on leaning out of windows which is a interdisciplinary project they taught me that word that that phrase mm-hmm. which is a german phrase aus dem fenster lehnen for interdisciplinarity so when you translate it back into english it has this poetic sound And we don't use it to speak about interdisciplinarity, but now we have moved it into the English. So there's those kinds of intriguing different ways of understanding the world because of some idiom from another language. So that's that's a handy element Mm -hmm. as well. The cliché actually
0: helps you appropriating the other.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. And getting closer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm.
0: Do you know what language you're dreaming in?
1: I'm pretty sure that I dream in English. I imagine that if when I'm, you know, staying in Germany for a few months maybe at times, if I'm thinking I'm communicating with someone in my dream, maybe it switches over, but usually it's um English. I'm pretty sure.
0: And it's always been English or was there a time oh. you know when you re- realize oh
1: yeah, I don't know. I I don't know mm-hmm. that um, but, it, but one other side thing is that when, um, we had our pets growing up, we spoke to them in German for some reason. I'm, I don't know why, but the cat, Manuela, we would speak to her in German. For example, she liked catching spiders. And so if there was a spider, big spider in the house, we would say, Manuela, Spinne. And she'd come running wherever she was. Even if she was down the block, she would come running to catch a spider. And. Wow. <laughs>
0: And the cat was also trained, right? Mm -hmm. She was actually German.
1: Yes. Yeah. In Canada, but, but she became trained in German.
0: Right. So she was a Canadian German. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Did she, did you ever try to talk to her in English?
1: Um, Probably if she was annoying me, but usually I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, when I think of it, like anything, you know, what did you do? Or, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we would say, was hast du jetzt gemacht? Or something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that I hadn't actually thought about that until right now as we're talking.
0: Nice. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, I guess language affects affect also animal.
1: Yeah. Because it is the yeah. sound
0: and the rhythm of the language yes. that eventually travels through the space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> um Oh, how do you define a cultural belonging?
1: That's a, a big mm-hmm. question.
0: I'm asking this because of the two worlds, you know, You, mm-hmm. you know, this German
1: mm-hmm.
0: heritage or culture mm-hmm. growing up in Canada.
1: Yeah. Growing up in Canada, there was that aspect of a freedom that I think my parents brought over kind of a strictness and a disciplinarian quality. That I had to rebel against and many of us have to do, but I think it also came from a German kind of culture of you always bow to authority. That was not something that really stuck with me, but I felt very aware that that was part of a German sensibility. Maybe not so much now, but growing up with that, it felt that way. So on the other hand, I was very aware that I was from a European home. So compared to, say, my friends that were English or uh, Chinese friends, so they came from a different kind of cultural background. So in Vancouver, we have quite a mixture of um, different people and different waves of migration coming through. So I felt like, okay, I, I have a European home. So there was a sense of difference. There was a real like love of food, for example, and a mixture of foods, like an embracing of international foods that growing up, I didn't see that so much in English households. I think music has a big part of it. So that was, again, more of a Canadian sensibility of rock and roll as being the thing that opened up people's minds to other ways of thinking about the world. Like it brought more of an openness and it stays with our generations, you know, that like my parents' generation, they couldn't accept that. Again, it was this um, anti-authoritarianism, I think, that they couldn't accept in rock and roll music so I think that has opened up certain elements along with uh, access to education here. So it's music, food, the way of... Um, there was a certain formality, I think, in the German household, the way that if someone came in, you'd shake their hand. Uh, and That wasn't something necessarily in the English side of things. Mm, the importance of extended family. So there was a lot of that. So communities, because my parents were immigrants, so the community was really important. So the dances, the, you know, picnics, um, families getting together. So there was a lot of um, community get-togethers. German. Community. German communities mm-hmm. get-togethers, yeah. And not only German, but also um, from my mother's side, from uh, Karamurat. so the village where a lot of people had come from and migrated away from, a lot of them Came to Canada then at different times. And so that kind of migrant history, so that when they got together, the songs that they would sing from the early times in Romania, which were all really sad songs, and you just kind of went, oh, the party's over because they're starting to sing. So that was something that, you know, Canadians didn't really do. That importance of community and again, rooted in music and getting together and certain idioms, certain foods, those are all things that had that kind of thread that connected to an earlier time that has stayed with me as another side of my own roots that I didn't realize growing up, but I realize now that it was something ingrained in me. So in terms of belonging, it made me realize I actually straddle a few different places and it, that feels right. I don't feel like I'm just, you know, rooted in this place. And a cousin of mine in Germany that I'm very close to, like as a friend, we often talk about that because she's trying to excavate some of the past um, migration history of her family as well, because they wound up in Chicago and then moved back to Germany later on. And, and there was depression and that side of things. So she's trying to unpack all the things that happened to her side with her relatives in terms of their constant movement and how that impacted them and how like her grandmother she was in Chicago super depressed. She couldn't root herself. She couldn't get acclimatized and always wanted to go back to Romania and sorry, it was a great great grandmother. And in the end, um she committed suicide in Chicago. And one of the, her letter that she wrote at the end was, if there wasn't an ocean, I would walk back. So, you know, there was that kind of not being able to settle. And I think all that, um the kind of trauma is also the trauma that my mother went through as a child being uprooted, being orphaned, being a refugee, all that trauma, that is still in her and especially now that she's 90 it's really coming through I think all that also gets passed on to the next generation so I feel like there's that part that's in me as well in that sense I feel like again like I'm not just I can't just say oh yes I'm planted here in Canada you know this is it I tell my own sons You know, we, they and me are the first generation of that side of the family that has not had to flee because of war or or strife of some kind that we've been able to grow up and in a peaceful place. Uh, So having that in mind, that awareness um, is also a very important part, I think, of identity and, you know, where you come from and what you carry, what's been passed on to you through conflict and war and so on.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it takes time and it takes also a lot of energy to actually recognize it. Yes. Yes. And to realize where behavioral patterns come from. Yeah. Yeah. They're just so deeply rooted.
1: Yeah. 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 That's so true. The behavioral pattern that, um, then gets unconsciously passed on to Mm -hmm. the next generation. I think, um, each wave of migration as it continues in Canada, like I'm realizing, wow, they're all bringing trauma. You know, that we all have these kind of aspects of displacement and trauma that get carried through and eventually it'll change into something else. So it's not just me. It's like so many people are coming here with that. Um, and so being planted in a place is not just su- such a simple kind of straightforward thing. It's not like, OK, now we're good. Now we're settled here. Now it's OK, because um, there were all kinds of problems for people to situate themselves, like yeah. whether it was suicide or getting into crime, like we're working two jobs and then your children get into crime. So there were all kinds of problems in with um, the immigrant community that I was in as well. And so education university was not something that necessarily came just as an automatic thing in that first generation Canadian that I was part of. What's your definition of a
0: migrant? What is a migrant to you? Who is a migrant?
1: I see it as people that, that have to uh, move because they cannot either get anywhere, that they're either fleeing conflict or um, economic depression. And so they are needing to move on to find a place where they can um, survive.
0: And uh, do you consider yourself as a migrant?
1: No, I feel like it's part of my identity. It informed my sense of being in a world where uh, not just racism, but ethnic kind of racism um, happened. So I could see uh, growing up, I could see how people treated my parents, especially my mother who spoke with an accent. I mean, my father did too, but especially my mother whose English wasn't so good. I could see like store people, for example, treating her badly because of you know her standing in a way. And so there's a certain anger in me about that, about how people treat others. That certainly impacted me. So I don't feel like I have to move Anything like that that I feel like I am um, happily settled in a place, all of those kinds of experiences are still informing my sense of being in a place, so on one hand, being appreciative but on the other hand, realizing these aspects that that a lot of people experience, and so being settled doesn't mean that you are inside without conflict and that you still have carry scars from all of that change from all of that movement. Mm-hmm. And you don't take, take things for granted either, because you never know. <laughs> it's a little bit of an unsettledness in that sense, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's true. Because you know how things can go. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Or you didn't experience it immediately, but you know the darker side. Yeah, yes,
1: life. yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. We talked about memory, right? Uh, language and memory. It's about uh, recalling events. Are there any differences in how how you memorize events? Is there sometimes German popping up, sometimes English?
1: Um, if there was something from my time in Germany and there was an interaction in German, then then I would remember that. And there's something also that the history of German politics is something that I've I've always had trouble with. So I, in a sense, there's also that anger uh, with German political history, the oppression of Jewish people and and other. People. And sometimes when I hear that language in German, a very high German language, it brings that up for me. And I just, I just want to push it away. And I have a strong reaction against it. So that's a side of also a self negating side where I think that aspect is not, does not feel good. Like to have that kind of that political history Mm -hmm. from that place. So it's not an easy kind of relationship with German in that sense. I'm more intrigued by, you know, dialects and, and I've also had the experience where I'm thinking that I'm speaking a perfect German to someone who has a very strong dialect in some like Bavaria. And they just look at me. Like I remember a train operator looking at me and like I could have been speaking Chinese for all he knew because he couldn't understand what I was saying, even though I was speaking German, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it wasn't his dialect. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, I know that there are sometimes people from, for some people from Hamburg let's say which mm-hmm. is way up north mm-hmm. and then a Bavarian they wouldn't necessarily be able to communicate.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have relatives in Dresden as mm-hmm. well. they're kind of all over the place but mm-hmm. in Dresden and I have a really hard time understanding them. I have to say over and over, can you say that again? It's it's you know just really difficult dialect.
0: It can be very thick.
1: Mhm. Okay. Mhm. Yeah.
0: Let's say just as an example, if you um, read an academic book mm-hmm. in German and in English, what do you think would be better for you to recall at a later point which of the text?
1: I would better be better to recall an academic text in English, for sure. If I'm reading a German text, then I have to look up certain words. So uh, for me, English is much better. Although I have to say when I've read a German novel now and then, I suddenly see, oh, that's how that word is spelled. And that's really nice to see that. But if it's like a heavy, you know, if I was reading Heidegger or somebody, then I, I'm i not sure how far. It would be very slow. I would be plodding along very slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard enough in English, but...
0: <laughs> yeah. One last question mm-hmm. regarding Utopia. Yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there was this effort, I believe in the 80s, probably you remember better, 80s or 90s to uh, manifest a language a world language which was Esperanto oh yes mm-hmm. how do you feel about having a world language <sighs> versus the variety that we're suffering ourselves right
1: <laughs> I love the variety I mean the musicality of language, you know if I go to Italy I, I practice my Italian sort of thing or I go to Spain so I can understand certain things and or watching a film like on Netflix from Norway or Finland or something and I love I want to read subtitles and hear the original language because I just love the music of that and how things coming out of their mouths is just an incredible beauty so I've never really thought Esperanto was a way to go i mean in a way english is is the esperanto because it's the international language of business and also english has adopted various languages that make more sense to use like uh gemütlich or um, zeitgeist freude or schadenfreude those are things that we don't have in english so it has adapted you know pulled in certain aspects um and i think if you have those other languages access to them. It changes just how you think about things because of how you're communicating. And like, I'm just, I'm reading a physics book about time by Carlo Rovelli, a physicist, and he makes metaphors, like he uses, you know, kissing as a metaphor for something. And this thing, oh yeah, that's so Italian that he talk about kissing as opposed to something else, right? <laughs> so, so that, that sensibility of a, of a certain kind of cultural background, I think, kind of flows through the language and even when it's translated in that sense (laughs) that's a really nice example
0: (laughs) well thank you so much you're welcome is there anything else you want to add
1: no it's been a good kind of brain pull yeah thank you yeah you're welcome